said it before, I just never get tired of hearing what God is doing around the world. It's so easy to think that, um, you know, the church in America is the church, and uh, we forget that we are a small subculture of the church, of the global church, and um, that um, we are just as desperate to learn from the believers in Africa and Latin America and other places as uh, it goes the other way around. So um, anything we can get, I think, uh, here from the believers in Africa. I think I just heard a statistic this week that by far the continent with the most Christians is Africa. And I thought that was really interesting, that there are more Christians in Africa than any other continent. And uh, they, they can show us a lot, and uh, we're able to share as well. And, and I really appreciate you guys doing that and, and just making a trip that's so profitable as far as the kingdom is concerned. So thank you. Thanks, Ken, for heading that up. Let's pray together. Father, we, um, we do take this Sunday morning as a blessing uh, in order to set some time apart to look and uh, seek your face and seek your presence as a community and not just individually. Father, we thank you for the truth that uh, you have shown us in your word as well as the living word who is the truth. We thank you that we are grounded in that, that we are grounded in the the truth that is a person. We thank you for the grace that the Savior offers us, the wisdom that comes with his teaching, his uh, direction to guide us. We thank you that we have, that you have preserved for us the written scriptures, as uh, maybe confusing as they are sometimes. We thank you for the, the way the story unfolds of, um, of your goodness and of your mercy to us. So, Father, as we look into your word this morning, we do pray that uh, your presence will be real and that you will guide us as we seek your wisdom and we seek your presence. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're uh, kind of continuing in. Last week, we've been talking about hearing, uh, hearing God for normal people through the scriptures. And uh, today, we're going to look at... Um, how God speaks to us. And this will be another two-parter. We'll continue this next week as well. Uh, most of us have heard the phrase from uh, insurance policies or contracts or things like that called acts of God. And that's what made me think about this, uh, the, uh, this passage out of 1 Kings chapter 19 and uh, about the acts of God. And so I, got a, I looked it up and on law.com, there, yes, there is a page called law.com. They define it this way. An act of God is an unavoidable disastrous event caused by natural forces. This term includes floods, earthquakes, tornadoes, and other natural phenomenon not considered the fault of the property owner. So that's what they consider the acts of God. And, uh, and maybe if you're just looking at, acts, at 1 Kings 19, you may kind of get that impression. And actually, I think that is uh, probably the default view of how most people view of an act of God is something like that. Uh, Sue and I have lived in places that have experienced all of those things. Uh, I, Sue's told me stories about how the kid, they would let kids out of school so that they can stack sandbags along the Mississippi River. She grew up in the Davenport, Iowa. And uh, it seemed like it was, the way she talks, it sounds like it's an, it's an annual event, that the, the river floods every single year, and kids and everybody are out putting out sandbags to try to protect the town from 
from the river. I've seen pictures of uh, the baseball stadium that's right on the banks of the Mississippi, and it looks like an island. I mean, it's like it's sitting in the in lake, and so it's really kind of a cool ballpark. The home runs go right into the Mississippi River. It's kind of a cool thing. Uh, we both were raised in, in Tornado Alley. Uh, I, you know, I could see towns and, and cities leveled by tornadoes like Wichita Falls, Texas, where a friend of mine was living at the time, because completely leveled by a tornado. Uh, we've lived in, um, we've experienced, we've gone through, rode through uh, at least five earthquakes that I can remember, uh, two in Costa Rica and three in Mexico. And uh, some of them were pretty serious. We've even seen uh, from our roof the explosion of the volcano Popocatépetl, which is right outside. We were at the base, and you could see it explode and, the, and, the, and everything coming out of the top at night on the roof of our house. And, uh, and I remember my father-in-law was saying, you know, he was worried about her daughter, his daughter and his granddaughter in this place at the base of a volcano. And I said, well, I will take my volcano to your tornadoes any day. But... <laughs> Because we were that far, we were far enough away. And it's interesting, I've talked to people who, and you may have experienced this close to Mount St. Helens, and the experience is almost the same. We, we, it's, just, it's really phenomenal, uh, just watching the volcano explode. So we've experienced all that, and now we're living in the Northwest, and now we know the seriousness and the frightening uh, thing of, of forest fires. So now we've got that, and uh, we think that that's how God operates. That's how God communicates, is through these major, major events. Uh, I may have shared this story before, but Sue was sitting in a class at Dallas Theological Seminary, a theology class, with a professor named, named Craig Blazing, who was famous for being stoic and deadpanned, okay? And very, very, very difficult, very hard, uh, very demanding. And he asked this, the class the question, a theological question, and one of the students, you know, volunteered to answer and it was in the middle of one of those great, big, wonderful Texas thunderstorms, you know. And uh, the kid answers, he answers the question, and all of a sudden lightning strikes and this big thunder just goes, just boom, you know, in the area. And Dr. Blazing just stood there and says, anybody else want to try? <laughs> but even theology professors think that this is how, we, this is how God communicates to us through these, through these amazing events. And that is the problem when it comes to when we want to talk about hearing from God, that we think that's the only way God communicates. We have these, these, uh, these uh, presumptions, these expectations of this is how God's going to work and this is how God communicates, and he only communicates through shock and awe. And that's, that's, the thing we, that's the thing we want to do. But really, in fact, usually it is not through shock and awe. It usually is through a very quiet voice, a very quiet whisper. A daily conversation with God. That's how he usually communicates. And to be honest, if I look back through my life, my experience bears that out. My experience says this is true. And I would bet that that experience also describes your experience. That if you look back at your life and you see where God, and you look back and go, oh, God was present there and there, it's very, very likely that in the moment you didn't recognize it. You didn't hear it. You didn't see it. But then we look in retrospect and go, yeah, God, God was there. That's kind of the most common way. The, real, the reality is that God likes to communicate in a whisper. In a whisper. But we seem to have this need for the spectacular. We seem to have this need to see the shock and awe. We want to see this overwhelming power and, and splendor. But in fact, that's really not normal. That's not the normal way. He usually communicates in a form that's very accessible 
to human beings. And that was the epiphany of Elijah. Elijah had just defeated these, these prophets of Baal. And before you get all, all uptight about how rough this is, this is a rough story, no doubt about it. Uh, but it's not just a matter of uh, choosing one religion or another. We're talking about idolatry that practices child sacrifices, that practices tyranny, that practices brutality, that practices, you know, just the things you can, the worst things you can imagine is this idolatry. I mean, we have these people in the world today, they may not call our worshipers of Baal, but basically they're the same thing. And that's what we're looking at here. And, and, and God sends this fire down to consume the offering of Elijah. And then Elijah prays, and, and it ends three years of drought. And what does he get from it? He gets a death threat from the king and the queen. And so he runs away, and he's scared, he's spent, he's empty. And he says, you, God, you might as well take my life, because it's over. I'm done. I'm done with this. I did all this spectacular shock and all kind of thing, and nothing. Nothing changes. In fact, I'm alone, poor God. He's not really, but he thinks he is. I'm by myself. And so God sends him to Mount Oreb, which is interesting, which is where Moses talked to God and received the Ten Commandments. So he's on this mountain, and he knows that. You know he knows that. And he's in a cave, and he sees this, he sees the wind come by, like, like you know, wind strong enough to, to, to knock a town down. And the Bible describes it as wind that splits rocks. And then there's an earthquake, and then there's a fire. And what does the Bible say? God was not in any of those. Literally, he says, I always love this, Elijah heard the silence. That's literally what it says. And then it says, God spoke to him in a gentle whisper. Most English translations translate that the still, small voice. But you can also translate it the gentle whisper. I really like that, that phrase better. That's how God communicates to him, in a gentle whisper. I mean, it, the place where God communicates in this whole story, that, this whole amazing story that Jerry just read, God communicates with Elijah in the dullest part of the story, <laughs> in the most boring part of the story, a man in a cave listening to silence. That's how he communicates that. We see that in the life of Jesus as well. If we believe in the Trinity, then we would expect to see Jesus act the same way, much the same way. In Matthew, Mark, and John, they all three record Jesus walking on the water and, and approaching the boats with the disciples. But Mark adds a phrase that says, he intended to pass by. And I've always read that going, what? what is, I mean, is, is Jesus just kind of playing it cool? I mean, is he kind of walk by, you know, and, and maybe they won't see me. Maybe they won't notice me, you know. What does it mean by that? He, he tended to pass by. Uh, was he, you know, had something else to do? Was he planning on meeting another boat? Uh, was he giving, was he kind of walking by, just kind of giving him one of these, eh, you know, <laughs> you know, is that what he, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. But I think it's really interesting that that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is what the Bible that Jesus used and at this time, the Greek translation, that story about Elijah says that the God wanted to pass by. It's exactly the same word we see in Mark that Jesus wanted to pass by. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? Is it possible that Jesus and God 
prefer to take the low key, that he prefers to be not pushy, but more receptive, and that was God passing by Elijah to see if Elijah was going to listen? Was Jesus going to just pass by the boat and wait for the disciples to invite him into the boat? That's kind of how I see this, what's going on here. We see the same thing when he's talking to the two disciples in Emmaus. He didn't reveal himself. We see it after the resurrection. He's on the shore, and the disciples don't recognize Jesus on the shore, and Jesus calls out, hey, friends, have you caught anything? Come on over. I fixed some fish. It's that same thing. I think it's just wanting to pass by, that, that God is capable of doing all these wonderful things. God is capable of doing the shock and the awe, but he prefers to whisper. Because these events don't really communicate the character of God. They may get your attention. They may intimidate. They may even alienate. They may dominate. But they don't reveal the character of God. We expect God to communicate with the shock and awe. But he prefers the whisper. Now, we all want God to be unmistakable, unmissable. But the fact is, he waits for us to invite him into the cave with us. He waits for us to invite him to get into the boat with us, to get into our home, to get into our hearts. He waits for that. He is perfectly prepared to just pass on by. But he waits for us to invite him into the boat. That's, I think, was the point. The spectacular, he is certainly capable of doing that, but the spectacular, the shock and awe, has its limits. It just doesn't communicate everything. It's limits, it limits our spiritual growth. It can limit, uh, as far as helping us, the, the effect it has on our spiritual growth. I mean, we had, if anybody should have, should have understand what Yahweh was doing, it's uh, Ahab and Jezebel. But what did they do? They ended up putting a death warrant out for Elijah. They should have known. They should have fallen on their knees and thanked God for the end of this three-year-long drought. But they didn't. And you remember the story of uh, Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus. Rich man... And, the, and Lazarus the beggar, they both die, and, and Lazarus goes to Abraham, he says, and, and the rich man is tortured, and the rich man says, please send Lazarus to just dip the water in, in the, his finger in the water and my tongue. And then he says, well, send Lazarus to, to, to warn my brothers of all this. And what does Abraham say? He says, you know what? It's not going to do any good. Your brothers have Moses and the prophets. They should understand this. They should know this. And just because someone rises from the dead, it's not going to have an effect on them. Now, if Jesus thought that it would, I'm sure he's capable of doing that, and he has himself. But my point is that he's saying they have this. They have this. They just need to know it. But it has really limited effect on your spiritual growth. Jesus is not in the business of doing religious stunts. He wants to communicate with us. It, limits, it has a limited effect on the way we think. We may have a way of seeing the world and seeing things and, and opinions, very strong opinions, and we can have all the evidence in the world, but we'll find a way to deny it. We'll find a way to ignore it. We'll find a way to rationalize it or explain it away or scapegoat it. We'll find a way to get rid of it if it violates what we already think in our head. It just has a limited effect. And the spectacular often depends on us being able to read God's mind of understanding why did this happen? Why did this happen? 
Let me give you an example. When Katrina swept across New Orleans and basically wiped out the city, one of my missionary colleagues, Toby, said, well, it's God's judgment on this wicked city of New Orleans. And I go, well, how do you know that? We don't know that. But that's what it is. He was convinced. Well, a couple of years later, I was leading a relief team, a uh, help team into Parkersburg, Iowa, that had just been leveled by a tornado, where you could walk through and you could see what people had in the basement of their houses because the house had been completely removed. And I remember thinking cynically, like I am, thinking, hmm, I wonder what these farmers, these corn farmers were up to, how God punished them. We can't do that. We're mind readers. We're trying to be divine mind readers here. Can God do that? Yes. Has he done that in the past? Yes, but it always comes with a message. It always comes with a clarity. This is why we need a general understanding of who God is. This is why we need to know, this is why biblical study, biblical interpretation is so valuable and so important. Because it gives us an idea of who God is and how he works. He may not address something specific. Like if, I wanna, if, I, if I'm planning a trip to Dallas, I'm not going to find in the, in the Bible instructions on how to get to Dallas. Okay, But we get an idea of what God is like. We get an idea of the story that God is telling us, his story of redemption. And that's how we can interpret some of these things. We need that. But the spectacular, yes, God is capable. He's doing that. He does do it. But it's not his most common way. The usual way is through the soft whisper. Emily Dickinson has this little poem. She says, to tell the truth, but tell it slant. I'm sorry, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Success in circuit lies. Too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to children ease, with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually, or every man be blind. And I think that's a lot of, that's a very profound thing to, for her to say, I believe, that we need to tell the truth, the whole truth, but tell it on the slant, because we can't take it all in. We can't. God prefers to do it through whispers. So how does God relate to us? And how does God, or does God speak to us today? This is what I just want to do this morning. And then next week we will look at more practical how God speaks and how we can recognize what God is saying to us. Does God speak to us today? Well, here's four negative responses. Oh, God would not communicate with us in this way. He just wouldn't. He wouldn't do that. Uh, we, you know, he's too far out there. We're just ordinary human beings. Why would God you know, speak to me in Hood River, Oregon, just because he can. You know, he, he wouldn't do that. Uh, that's, anyway, uh, God does not communicate this way. We have the Bible. We have the closed canon. So God doesn't speak anymore. We have it in the Word. He doesn't speak to us anymore. Uh, God cannot communicate with us in this way. We are so bound by space, we think God's too far away that he can't communicate to us. That God is way out there, especially since you see those new pictures of the Webb telescope. You see how huge, huge the galaxies are. And you go, oh, that's just too far. He can't, you know, he can't communicate to us this way. And he should not communicate this way. This is what you'll hear from most pastors. Because that would be disastrous. If everybody was listening to God, oh no, we'd just be chaotic. It'd be terrible. Everybody's got their own little message from God and we couldn't do anything. 
Well, four positive truths. One, yes, God would do it that way. He is not some rich and famous snob, okay? He would communicate that way. We have a trouble expanding, imagining God's lowliness. Lowliness was a center, a center point of, of Jesus' ministry. It's because he is so great that he would do this. It would surprise us if he did not. Yes, he would do this. But we're so bathed in the, in the rich and the famous and the powerful that we just don't expect somebody, you know, up there to talk to somebody like me. And so that kind of carries on to our vision with God. I, I saw a couple of weeks ago uh, the story of Paul Rudd, you know, the guy who played Ant-Man and other movies. Anyway, there was this kid that uh, mom had put on her Facebook page or something about this kid, her son, had nobody that would sign his annual and how brokenhearted she was as a mom. Well, Paul Rudd found it and contacted him. And I sent him this, this uh, Ant-Man helmet with a little quote on it, and they've been texting back and forth. That makes headlines. Why does that make headlines? Because he's rich and famous. And he, and he was able to talk to some kid in middle America. And so we have that. We carry that over to God. But God would do that because he is great. He communicates to people like me and like you. God does do that. God is not the religious, I mean, the, the, the powerful, rich and famous snob. He is not just so far away. We don't look at his guidance as a gimmick uh, that we can tap in at our disposal so that I can, you know, get onto my, my own world and that he can help me out. Uh, the real question is, am I in business with God? The real question is, why should he talk to me? Does he have anything to say? Am I doing something, am I living in a way that would make it reasonable that God would want to talk to me? Or do I just want to use him like a consumer to help my business prosper or solve this problem or do this one thing? But we face this, we face this question head on that Christ does talk to us, that we are to be like Christ. That is what we are to live for. The question is, not does Jesus want to talk to me, the question is why should he? Do I live for that one thing? Do I live to be like Christ, to work with him? Do I live to be like Christ, to live among and serve him and to serve others? In other words, is my life this one thing to bless others in the name of Christ? Wherever we find ourselves, is that my life? Is, that, is it reasonable for God to talk to me because that's the way I want to live my life. What would I do if I did hear from him? Would it change anything? That's the question. But God does talk to us. He wants to talk to us. The question is, is it worth talking to us? Are we willing to submit to that? Are we willing to hear him? And yes, God can talk to us. Yes, because we live, our, God has lived us, placed us in this material world, that makes it possible for him to talk to us. Uh, if we, we are so spatially oriented that we have to overcome space in order to talk to someone. I have to use a microphone so other people can hear me out here. We have to overcome space. If I want to talk to my daughter, I have to overcome the Atlantic Ocean to talk to my daughter. Now, I can do it with an instrument, with a thing in my hand that picks up my, my voice patterns and records it here and then sends it to a satellite or a fiber optic to send it to her and she has to have a, a similar device in her hand to hear it but yeah we have to overcome this space 
Well, God doesn't have to overcome that. He doesn't need to do that. We are surrounded by waves everywhere. We're surrounded by Wi-Fi waves, radio waves, television waves, streaming waves, everything. We're surrounded. It's all over. But what we need is the proper receptor to pick up those waves. Whether it's a streaming device, a telephone, or whatever, we pick those up. So the question for us, are we a receptive vessel to pick that up? Paul told the Athenians, and when he was talking about the unknown God, he said, this is the true God to where we live and move and have our being. Space is no limit for God. He is like the waves around us everywhere. We just need the proper receptor. Be the proper vessel to pick it up. Quantum physics helps us a lot here. I mean, I'm just fascinated by the whole concept. I don't understand it, but nobody does. But it's just fascinating to me that that just opens up so many things for us to say, yeah, this is amazing. In fact, one, I heard, read just recently that one physicist said that the universe is more of a thought than it is a machine. Now, that's, a, that's an idea, isn't it? Why do we think that the material things began first instead of life? What if life began first. And now quantum physics is kind of catching up to that. It's amazing. And finally, yes, God should. God should talk to all of us. Moses said, I wish everybody in, in God's people had the Holy Spirit upon them, that every one of them had the, the spirit of prophecy on them. And yes, as elders and pastors, we, we kind of get nervous, but basically that's because we're working from a hierarchical system where there's authority and subordination. But that's not how the body of Christ works. We are fellow believers. And we have these roles of interchanging of teachers and, and students and, and congregation and pastors. We have this role that interchanges all, all the time, that we learn from each other. We seek truth together. And I have learned just in the last few years to take seriously when somebody comes to me and says, God spoke to me. And I have to admit, my initial reaction is, okay, now what? But then I've learned to take that very seriously. When God, people say, God spoke to me and told me this, I take it really seriously these days. Because God does speak to that. As a pastor, I feel like we have two options here. We, as pastors, we can be sheepdogs or we can be shepherds. And sheepdogs manipulate, drive, you know, move around, force a shepherd follows the chief shepherd and the only thing important is the word of the chief shepherd whether it comes from me or an elder or anyone else sitting in these chairs that is most important what is the word of the supreme shepherd that's what we submit to that's what guides us that is the one great thing so what is it we are truly seeking we're truly seeking, we're going to finish this up here, we're truly seeking friendship with God. That's what we're looking after. That's what we're going after. God has overcome the distance. I, I said last week that the overarching theme of the Bible, and I really believe this, is God dwelling with his people. He desires to dwell with his people. It started in the garden in Genesis, where God, God was walking through the garden looking for Adam. Why? He wanted to overcome that distance between humans and himself. 
Now, God could have kept Adam and Eve from eating that fruit. He could have kept Cain from, from eating that, that from, beat, from killing his brother, but he didn't. He gives us space, but he seeks to dwell with us. And then you move on, and when, when Moses pulled the people out of, out of Egypt, they built a tabernacle. Pretty shabby looking, pretty shabby little, little building there, this tent was a tabernacle, but this is how God was going to dwell with his people. And then now we have the Emmanuel, the Savior, the incarnation, Jesus, where John says, and Jesus tabernacled with his people. And then we flip over to Ephesians chapter 2, and you have Paul saying, Paul, <clears throat> he said, God's people and uh, fellow citizens of God's people, they're members of God's household, built on the foundation of apostles, prophets, with Christ himself being the cornerstone of all this. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become what? A dwelling place where God lives in his spirit. It's all about dwelling with God. Friendship with God. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're going for. There's billions of people on this planet. It is a, a rock that, that moves over 66,000 miles an hour around the sun. And we're in a galaxy that moves like 1,300,000 miles per hour in comparison to a reference point. We have a, a brain that processes like 11 million bits of data in a second. We have a heart that weighs about 10, about 10 ounces that pumps five liters of blood over 100,000 miles of tubings in our body. And I get up every morning, make a pot of coffee, and I usually see the sunrise. And frankly, to be honest, I don't give this creator a second thought until I force myself to do it. We live in this world, and most people don't give the creator a second thought. And yet he is the great giver. He is the giver of life. He is the great giver who comes to us, but he never forces our allegiance. He never forces our gratitude, never forces our acknowledgement. He gives us space and gives us the option. And what we seek is truly God's friendship. And Jesus called his disciples friends. We seek a life of continual conversation with God. Number six, I think, is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now, when I was a kid and heard that every single Sunday, I thought, how do you lift up a countenance? But what that means is that God is looking straight at you. When he's lifting up his countenance, he is looking straight at you. And our desire is to be in friendship with him. We are to seek his face, not from a consumerist point of view. We are to seek his face, not just to look at it. We are to seek his face to interact with it, to live in this friendship. And he has invited us. He has invited us into that friendship. Yes, we want God to be unmistakable. We want to be able to see him and all that. But he is waiting for us. He prefers to speak to us in a gentle whisper. And he's just waiting for us to invite him into the cave. 
He's waiting for us to invite him into our boat, into our home, into our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your, your incredible love for us when we feel so puny and so uh, unworthy, but um, for whatever reason, you care for us. Father, it is my prayer this morning that we have a congregation who hears from your Spirit, that the Spirit resides and speaks to them, and that we hear and we listen to your voice. In the name of Jesus, amen.